Some of you are going to think I'm a crackpot junkie after 30 minutes from now. Who's ever felt like they're not good enough? It is so common. We'll all agree in this room that it's those broken moments that give us the opportunity to go within. I was smoking, I was drinking, and then I fell in love, which was so inconvenient at the time. Probably for the first 30 plus years of my life, I was really scared of the truth. The thing about truth is, it's bullshit. (laughs) Nobody gets through life unscathed. We all look at that as if our life is screwed up, that that is actually an opportunity for us to grow and expand. In 2019, the Wellness Base Camp returns. In Fremantle. Newcastle. And our first ever international adventure in Auckland. Two for one tickets are under 100 bucks. Get them before they run out at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Oh, blimey. Look, to be honest with you listeners... This guest today, Steph Lowe from The Natural Nutritionist, makes me go a bit funny. I don't know what it is. I don't get this way with many people, but it's a kind of like an awe feeling, you know? You know when you're in awe of someone and you kind of like say silly things? Well, this is how this woman makes me feel. And it's, I hate it. I wish I could stop it happening. But for example, when I started the interview today, I said, Hello, show. Welcome to the Steph. Right? Right. Okay. So I think it's just simply because I just admire this woman. I admire what she's doing. We have a very similar background um, in terms of where we came from on our journeys um, with the standard Australian diet. And, and yeah, look, to where she's got now, she's about to release a book that's going to be available in Kmart, which just makes me go, wow. Like I literally, my jaw hit the ground when I heard that. How impressive that you can turn your passion into a super successful business. And Steph says to herself, you know, that's how she got where she is now, uh, passion and consistency um, and to do what you love and to love what you do. So Steph has an undergraduate degree in sports and exercise science and a postgraduate degree in human nutrition. And she is very near, she's probably now completed her master's. And she's a long course triathlete, um, which she hasn't done for a few years now. She's got other things on the go, as you'll find out. And look, in this episode, we cover so many amazing things from Steph's story to how her only interest about nutrition was to lose weight. And I'm pretty sure that we can all relate to that. Like for me, the same. It was never about um, food and mood or food and how you felt. What you ate was simply some kind of um, plan to lose weight. Um, and though, although Steph did get from 70 kilos down to 49, she felt sad 
even though she'd hit that goal weight, she felt completely miserable, which is where her journey into the low carb, healthy fats journey um, experience started. And now she's, she, um, she runs seminars, she's got a book, she runs a thriving practice. So you're going to really, really enjoy this story. We talk about um, why LCHF could work for you and what some of the common telltale signs are that suggest that this lifestyle may suit you more. And we also talk about keto and who that might not be for and why that might not work for everybody. Um, We also talk about fasting. We talk about LCHF for endurance athletes, for pregnant women. Of course, I asked Steph what she had for breakfast, but I did forget, to be honest. I go back to that being an awe thing, right? Um, But I did remember halfway through, so I asked her, so that's good. And we also find out about what Steph thinks about wine, coffee, and chocolate. And to be honest, what she said about chocolate, I did not like. (laughs) And I will not be having any CFDs in my future. What about you? I'd love to know. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, We are now at the end of November, holy moly, by the time that this episode gets released and heading well and truly into summer in Australia and well and truly into feeling the Christmas vibe. So I hope you are feeling awesome. I'd love to know um, how you're enjoying these episodes. I'd love you to leave me a review on iTunes. A five-star rating would be awesome. That's easy. You just click the stars. It's done. A review takes a little bit more thought. You have to say something about it, but a review is easy. Sorry, a rating is easy. So please do that. That would be so good because that just means that more people will find out about these, this podcast and know that they're not on their own in their health journey and learn some new actionable tips that they can implement in their lives so that they can reclaim their health too. So please do your bit to help spread the amazing word. All right, let's get into the show with Steph Lowe. Knees are shaking. Welcome to the show, Steph. How nice to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to our chat today. Yes, it's going to be so much fun because you and I met at the Wellness Summit in Melbourne, which was a few weeks ago now, and we've had a podcast swap, haven't we? So you interviewed me the other day and I'm interviewing you today and I just can't wait to find out all about Steph Lowe. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we've been spending a bit of time together this week. We might have separation anxiety next week, so we'll have to sort something else out there. <laughs> we do. We need another event or something so we can all hang out. And yes, I think we will. I think we will. So before we get into, we need another event so I can eat. Go on. No, you go on. <laughs> I'm just going to say we need another event so I can eat all of your fruit toast. <laughs> Don't worry, I will get some fruit toast winging its way to you in the post. Uh, <laughs> thank we you have, we can't have pregnant women craving fruit toast and not have any <laughs> that's, that's so true sure. <laughs> that's for sure so before we dive into the super juicy world of low carb high fat and fasting and endurance i'd love you to take us back steph and tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up doing what you're doing today mm. so i'll try and do the story justice. It is quite a long story, so I don't want to take up our our whole show. But (laughs) essentially, my sort of quote unquote health journey started as a teenager. I got really interested in nutrition as a way to lose weight. Like 
looking back, I can see it was just that sort of puppy fat that you carry when you're that age. But being a teenager, I think, can be challenging enough. Um, and when you're a little bit heavier than your friends and they're all, you know, getting boyfriends and, you know, you're not feeling very attractive, um, I really turned to food as a way to start to improve the way I was feeling. Now, at the time, I used to get my education from Girlfriend and Dolly magazine. <laughs> so <laughs> you can imagine what that looks like. Um, and we all know that um, the low-fat era has been significantly influencing our food guidelines and our food pyramid in the West. And, you know, people that don't know me, I'm 35. So if we're talking about when I was, let's round, keep the numbers fairly round, 15. So that's obviously 20 years ago. That was right in the middle of, in my world, this low fat and calorie counting space. So I dived right in and I definitely took, unfortunately, a very extreme approach. You know, to this day, I still know the calorie count of just about everything. I used to carry around one of those little pocket calorie counters with me everywhere and I became extremely afraid of fat. So I remember not eating with my family anymore because there was things like sausages or, you know, um, olive oil dressings. I went into buying, you know, low-fat yogurt, low-fat salad dressings. At the time, I had no idea that they were full of sugar or artificial ingredients or a combination of the two. And, you know, for me, the, the sole aim was to lose weight. I probably wasn't really thinking about my health when I was 15. Um, it was definitely initially very aesthetic. Now, the other side of the health journey is I guess I always felt pretty sad. You know, I've... Um, over the years, I think for me, I initially blamed it on my weight and it wasn't until I had been doing this sort of calorie counting and low-fat diet for a few years where I got to this goal weight, which I thought would be the answer to all my problems, and I realised I was still really sad. You know, I weighed, I think I went from about 70 kilos down to 49 kilos mm. um, and I just felt really sad. So, you know, the story is, it's a little bit more complicated, but essentially I <laughs> packed up um, from where I was living in far north Queensland and came to Melbourne to run away from my sadness and realised that it followed me. Mm -hmm. um, but fairly quickly, I, <laughs> fairly quickly I met someone who was clearly well ahead of everybody else at the time who I confided in about my mood challenges and essentially what I thought was depression, and he challenged me to quit gluten. Now, by this stage, I was about 21, um, so we're still talking, you know, over a decade ago when I didn't know what gluten was. There certainly wasn't, you know, these GF symbols on cafe menus and there wasn't products that, you know, made it sort of more easier to achieve. But I was pretty desperate, so long story short, I dived in and I went gluten-free, and for me, it was absolutely night and day. Like I'm talking 180 degrees. I was, I just felt like a new person. And I think, you know, you've had a fairly similar experience in that epiphany that you get when you realize how important food is. And for me, that was absolutely everything that I, you know, I just knew I had to share with everybody else. So, you know, the next step for me was to figure out how to do that. So I decided that I wanted to be a nutritionist 
But I also knew that I was going to have to study a lot of BS with the dietary guidelines, the low-fat myth, the standard Australian diet that we unfortunately still see in the curriculum this day. But I remember a conversation with myself that I wanted that piece of paper on the wall. I wanted that degree so I could go on my mission to change the way the world looks at food. So I went back to uni. I studied my postgrad in nutrition. I started the Natural Nutritionist in 2009, and here we are. Sorry, 2011. I started started uni, my postgrad in 2009. I started the Natural Nutritionist in 2011, and here we are now. You know, over well, it's coming up to um, seven years now, and um, that's what I'm so passionate about to this day. Wow, wow, Steph, what a story! And I can so relate to that story. I think it's. Perhaps a lot of the listeners will be nodding along as well because, you know, um, I like it. So it's hilarious, but it's, it's also really sad that you got your, you know, your health um, knowledge from Dolly magazine and your girlfriends because mm-hmm. really that, that's like that was all you had access to. And calorie counting. I mean, I remember that was the last thing I used to do. Like the last thing I do now before I go to sleep is, you know, think of things I'm grateful for that have happened during the day. Mm-hmm. But back then I was counting how many calories were in that one potato chip that I'd eaten and, you know, that one bite of Mars bar I'd had or whatever, you know, like, so ugh, it's just, eh, isn't it? So I'd love to know mm-hmm. how, how do you, like, obviously you, you said going gluten-free was night and day in terms mm-hmm. of like how you felt, but how are you now? So, so far down your journey um, from gluten-free, what does your, what does your diet look like now? Yeah, that's a great question because that was just the catalyst. So, you know, gluten-free was just the start and it really took me into this whole real food space. So my favourite acronym is JERF, which stands for Just Eat Real Food. And what I've developed over the years at The Natural Nutritionist is an approach that focuses on lower carbohydrate, healthier fats. So that acronym is LCHF and I very much eat that way. Um, and I think it's really important to, for the number one focus to be that it is real food. So that's food that comes out of the ground, off a tree or from an animal. Now, the latter is not compulsory, of course. That's very much an individual choice. But the real thing to think about is this food that we want to be eating has a low degree of human interference, so a low HI. And that's how I eat. You know, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I definitely don't try to be extreme at all. I've learned the hard way. Um, and I know that doesn't work. Um, I'd probably say I'm about 80-20 for want of a ratio. But I'm just really big on focusing on how I can get the most nutrient-dense foods on my plate. So that's definitely looking to start to build our plate with non-starchy vegetables so lots of green, and then we want to eat the rainbow for diversity and the more colour we have, the more nutrients we get. I'm really passionate about quality protein, so knowing you know, who, who you're supporting, how they're sourcing, the ethics of the company, and obviously the environmental impact that our quality proteins have. Then we want to be filling our plate with these healthy fats, so our omega-3s, our saturated fats, And we, of course, can include some whole food carbohydrates like fruit or starchy veggies or a little bit of resistant starch for someone that does feel like they tolerate grains such as a white rice. But they're really uh, the final piece and they're very relative to things like activity levels. So I think, you know, carbohydrates have been demonized a little bit 
of late, especially with the prevalence of the ketogenic diet. I don't want to demonize, you know, whole food at all. I just think we need to be a little bit more mindful of the fruit and the starch. Because if we're sedentary, we need less. And if we're doing a lot of high-intensity exercise, we need more. And it's just important to think about as a sliding scale when it comes to those complex or more starchier foods. Mm. So you and I have been kind of lucky in that we've taken a deviation from our standard Australian diet or SAD, which did make you feel sad. But what mm-hmm. would you say that the, um, what are the impacts or the long-term health effects of sticking to the standard Australian diet and even like frag gut health? Yeah, for sure. So if we look at a standard diet a little bit more closely, we know that it's like, you know, probably close to 400 grams of carbohydrates a day with the more recent changes that we've had in Australia at least. But a real problem for that, you know, is that we've got to think about what these high intakes of carbohydrates create. Now, not many people are eating 400 grams of carbohydrates from fruit and starchy veggies. There's unfortunately this huge influence of big food in the West and these refined carbohydrates are everywhere and they're super convenient and we've been brainwashed to believe they'll provide us with health and longevity. But the real issue to think about with refined carbohydrates is their sugar at the end of the day, okay? There's no... There's no denying that really at the end of the day, we're consuming this high intake of sugar, which is significantly inflammatory. And we know that inflammation is linked with most, if not all, chronic diseases. So from a long-term health point of view, we are heading in the wrong direction. We need to be creating this beautiful anti-inflammatory environment, which largely comes from what we eat. And creating that anti-inflammatory environment is allowing us to avoid all of these lifestyle diseases that we see in the West in this day and age, which are largely avoidable, like type 2 diabetes shouldn't exist. It's completely related to our food choices and our lifestyle choices. And it is reversible with LCHF, which for a lot of people is completely mind-blowing. Um, but other lifestyle diseases that anything that's inflammation related like metabolic syndrome, obesity, there's of course a link with sugar and some cancers. We really have to acknowledge that what we eat has the biggest influence on our health today and definitely into the future. Now you asked about gut health. Well, what does inflammation do to our gut? Essentially inflammation in the gut increases the holes or the gaps in the tight junction. So we essentially get this increased intestinal permeability or it's, it's spoken about as that leaky gut, which and unfortunately has become probably overused and somewhat criticized as a result. But if we look at the literature, it's literally defined as the increased permeability of your intestines. That is going to affect your ability to absorb the nutrients from the food that you eat, but it's also going to cause this inflammatory cascade because undigested proteins get out and this vicious cycle continues. So it really does impact your gut, not to mention that sugar is what these pathogenic bacteria absolutely love to eat and to thrive on. So we create this dysbiosis, which is just a word that describes an imbalance in your internal ecosystem. So your internal ecosystem is your microbiome. It should be like this beautiful rainforest. 
But unfortunately, when you follow a sad approach, a standard Australian diet or a standard American diet, your gut is quite barren from that rainforest analogy. And often it's got these pathogenic overgrowths of bacteria that love sugar. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've, you've already touched on some of the, um, I guess, some of the, the major things that can happen to us from, from having a lot of carbohydrates and from having a standard Australian diet. You know, you touched on all of the chronic diseases, um, type 2 diabetes. What, what are some of the more like common telltale signs that we might just take as, oh, this is normal you know, and just, mm. oh, this is a sign of getting old. But what are some of the more sort of common telltale signs that you've seen in clinic that might suggest that somebody could do better on, on a low-carb, healthier-fat approach? Yeah, and I love this question because it's the immediate benefits that people can literally be blown away by. So the biggest change that you'll experience sorry, the biggest symptom to answer the question directly is this insatiable hunger, which is the blood sugar roller coaster and the need to eat every two hours. So a lot of clients that I meet initially are eating quite frequently. They have cravings and they are on that blood sugar roller coaster. So if you visualize a roller coaster, it goes up when you eat carbohydrates, you come down on the other side. That's when you get the crash or the energy flat your body will not crave vegetables or avocado at that time. Your body will crave more refined sugar or caffeine or carbohydrates or a nap underneath your desk to get you out of the problem. So I think that's the big one. And then the natural opposite of that is true, right? When you take on an LCHF approach, you get this blood sugar control. You get satiety. Like for me and a lot of my female clients, that was what was life-changing. Going from being completely obsessed by food, I literally counted down the minutes till two hours had passed until I could eat again. Imagine what that does to someone who's already obsessed about food. I see it every day. Whereas LCHF, you get this five hours or six hours of satiety and it's life-changing. You know, you don't have to carry that muesli bar in your bag. You don't have to worry about how you're possibly going to survive a long meeting or how you're going to feel at four o'clock when your body wants to have the sugars or the carbohydrates or the caffeine or the nap. Like it really does turn things 180 degrees and a lot of people find it just so life-changing and, you know, it's just one of the many reasons why I'm so passionate about it because cravings are not normal. 3.30-itis is not normal. They are all a byproduct of your previous meal choices. Mm, absolutely and I can hear your passion coming through you know it's just like I, I know that I can tell that you're so passionate about it this is something that you've experienced yourself it's not something that you just talk it's also something that you walk and um mm. yeah look it's amazing hey let's take a little segue Steph tell mm-hmm. me what did you have for breakfast today so I had a smoothie um which was my breakfast antioxidant smoothie the fruit I use is raspberries, so very low sugar. We always put some greens in there like frozen zucchini or spinach. Um, Our healthy fats this morning, we had avocado, chia seeds, and a little bit of almond butter. And then I used um, a natural protein powder and water, blended it up. Oh, and there was actually some culture wellness coconut yogurt in there as well. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty nutrient dense, definitely kept me full for four or five hours. 
I'm pregnant at the moment, as you shared, as you, as everyone probably knows by now. Um, so my ears. <laughs> very exciting but it has changed my eating a little bit which we can talk about if you like but um it is yeah that's what I eat most mornings um I definitely think that it's a really great option midweek when we're a little bit time poor we still want to get our vegetables in to start the day I would like to talk about that actually um I know it's mm-hmm. not something that we we thought we might talk about but I would like to take a little segue another segue a segue from my original segue along the lines of <laughs> is there ever a time when um not necessarily LCHF but is there ever a time when keto itself mm. might not work for somebody because I've you know there's I've heard things out there that keto works really well for everyone I've heard things out there that keto doesn't work so well for women and I'd love to hear what your take on that is Steph yeah, for sure. So by definition, keto is 25 grams of carbs of carbohydrates per day. So we absolutely know it's crystal clear that it works to reverse type 2 diabetes. It's great for children with epilepsy. It's using metabolic syndrome, some cancers. But it really isn't going to suit those of us that are quite active, number one, because we need those whole food carbohydrates to replenish our muscle glycogen after a high intense session. It really isn't necessary for someone who's growing a human or breastfeeding. We need far more carbohydrates for our body to thrive. And I agree. I don't think there are a lot of women that thrive on 25 grams of carbs a day. We naturally have those um, four seasons in a month, that hormonal fluctuation, where some parts of the month, usually weeks three and four before our period arrives, where we naturally need more carbohydrates. So I'm very against a blanket grams per day prescription because that would say that we need the same food every day. And I don't see how that could be possible when some days we're, we are sedentary, some days we're more active. For women, some days we're like going through that, that stress of, of, a, of a menstrual cycle. There are a lot of parameters that I think it does need to be factored in in a more periodized sense. And what I mean by that is that I love using percentages because you might eat less one day and 15% carbohydrate is a certain number of grams a day, but you can keep that 15% the same. And if you eat a little bit more food because you're more active, for example, then naturally that's going to account for more carbohydrate. So it's a bit of a sliding scale that I think is really important to get right. And then we avoid a lot of the negatives that are associated with a keto diet. It does cop a lot of criticism in my, in my world at least. And I think a lot of the times, rightfully so, because we don't want to be eating these massive slabs of meat and butter. We really don't want to be counting vegetables. I mean, come on, non-starchy veggies should not be limited. Um, and we don't want to be starving our gut bug. So a poorly prescribed keto diet will contain very little prebiotics or resistant starch. And then our gut bugs don't have anything to eat and they starve. And then we're back to that dysbiosis conversation that we we're having earlier. Mm, so it's very much about getting that fine balance, isn't it? And finding out what works best for you. So what would be some of the telltale signs to say that you, you've got, you're nailing it and you've, you're on track? Yeah, for sure. So it's definitely that blood sugar control, which is for a lot of people night and day, as I mentioned. So being able to go that sort of five hours between meals with no hunger or no need to snack. Um, the other thing is absolutely being able to extend your overnight fast. So, you know, outside conditions like taking pharmaceutical medications, being pregnant, breastfeeding, being a child, 
or um, having a chronic illness, I'm a massive fan of fasting and it can be applied in many different ways. But the first way to look at it is, okay, we're already all fasting overnight. Hopefully we're sleeping and we're not eating. But, you know, most people who follow a standard Australian diet wake up and they're starving. And that's because of the, one, poor blood sugar control, but two, the programmed meal times, which creates this ghost hunger because we always eat at the same time. Mm. So our body always craves food at the same time. Now, once you move on to an LCHF template and you address your metabolism so you become more of a fat burner, then you naturally find that you don't need to eat breakfast at a certain time of the day. You can naturally extend your overnight fast, which continues to allow you to gain benefits from LCHF and from shaping that metabolism to be able to oxidize fat for fuel. And you, you can eat at 10, 11 or 12 o'clock and, you know, it's still breakfast because you're still breaking the fast, um, but it is going to really give you a good sign that LCHF and what you're eating is 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 right for you because you've got that natural blood sugar control and that ability to delay breakfast without things hitting the wall. <laughs> well, you explained that really well. So how about if somebody had been eating uh, an LCHF approach for a while, but we're still getting hungry every, say, say that it were, they weren't getting that like five to six hours satiety. They're just getting like maybe a couple of hours, maybe three. What could be going on? I know it's very, very, um, it's a bit of a broad question because there could be all sorts of things going on, but what could be some of the um, things that could be going on there? I think the usual thing is not enough fats because even though really well-educated people understand LCHF and they can appreciate the benefits, a lot of us still have this inbuilt fear of fat, which naturally comes from decades of being told this food would make you fat, increase your cholesterol, give you heart disease, and all of those myths that still circulate around um, the interwebs and social media. So a lot of the time, all we need to do is add a little bit more fat or potentially a little bit more vegetable to extend the satiety of the meal. So I do a lot of seminars and I always get people to like put their hand up if they're eating like say, let's say two cups of vegetables per day. And then it's keep your hand up if you're eating three, keep your hand up if you're eating four and so on. And I, when I say hands up if you eat six cups of vegetables a day, there's literally maybe one hand in the room. I'm not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, that's a big area that they need to improve. It is really a minimum of two cups of vegetables with every meal. So if you are eating three meals a day, that's obviously six cups. And that's something that is... We don't do in the West because breakfast has always been cereal and toast or porridge or muesli. Um, and I think it can make a big difference to extend our satiety if we address the fats and the non-starchy veggies. Mm, that's, a, that's a really good tip, Steph, and a really good visual because everyone can think. Can't, so, like, you know, two cups is kind of like your hands together, isn't it? So that much veggies yeah. with every single For meal. Sure. Mm, I like mm -hmm. it. I like it. So let's talk a bit more. Let's talk a little bit about endurance, which we haven't even covered yet. But what does endurance mean to you? Because when I think about endurance, I'm thinking about triathletes, people who are mm. running for like 10Ks every day. Like, what do you mean by endurance? Well, it is. I mean, in this instance, we do talk about endurance athletes. So it, it really is. I mean, triath triathlons are just one example but it's someone that's doing generally 
you know, more than your average, say, hour of exercise a day. They're probably doing a couple of hours on the weekend um, and generally exercising most days and, and doing longer distances. So it might look like a half marathon or it might look like an Ironman or an ultra run. There's lots of different examples, but generally they're athletes that are doing, um, yeah, swim, bike or run in some way, shape or form. Okay, cool. So a little bit more than just, you know, a typical mum going to a step class or something like that. So we're, we're looking at more mm-hmm. of the, more the, the athlete. So tell us a little bit mm-hmm. more about how um, an LCHF lifestyle would be adapted for those sorts of endurance athletes because I know that for years um, athletes have been carb loading. I know that still at school they were doing the cross country and, you know, the teachers were saying, make sure you have lots of pasta for tea tonight so that you've got and you know we don't even have pasta in our house obviously my son's coming home saying this is what the teachers told us to eat like so obviously that's flawed flawed wisdom that you know flawed advice that's being passed down but how would the lchf endurance athlete eat yeah i mean you're right the carbohydrate loading message is a huge fallacy in both the endurance world and in in that sort of school or education space so i mean an lchf athlete still definitely wants to prioritize that that two cups of non-starchy veggies you know the palm of protein or the equivalent would be three eggs in a meal really good quality fats so you know a couple of portions with each meal and depending on how much intensity they do they do they'll be adding the fruit or the non-starchy vegetables to the meal that they eat post-training. But the more fat adapted you are, the more you should be burning fat in the majority of your sessions. So endurance athletes should be doing a lot of slow and steady state training. That's how we build a bigger heart and get our lung capacity higher. It's also where we burn fat. So it's really only if they're doing more high intensity or, um, yeah, higher heart rate sessions where they would need to be eating slightly higher carbohydrate. So a lot of people are quite surprised to hear that because we're so used to looking at total volume. You know, an endurance athlete could be doing 10, 15, 20 hours a week and immediately we think, oh, they must be able to eat all the pasta and Mm. all the muffins, you know, when they stop halfway through their bike ride. But unless there's intensity, we do not need excess carbohydrates. They get stored. And what do they get stored as? Fat, right? So it's actually not much higher in volume. It's just got to always be relative to intensity. Wow. So who, is, who would be your typical client, Steph? Are you, do you tend to see more endurance athletes or more women? Um, I definitely used to see a lot more triathletes when I was racing myself, but I haven't raced for sort of three or four years now, and it's definitely not on my radar at the moment. <laughs> but I, I would say in, in 2018 I'm seeing a really nice split of men and women People that definitely want to look at, all right, how do I eat? So I get that real food's great, but what does that look like? And, you know, how do I do it from a practical and logistical and budget point of view? Um, We do a lot of gut health as well. So a lot of, you know, dealing with people with longstanding, you know, IBS diagnosis, which we know, you know, unfortunately it's a label that we put on a condition that's got nothing else to call. Um, I see a lot of people that have, you know, food intolerances or bloating or any kind of systemic issue associated with 
poor gut, whether it's, you know, mood or skin issues. But I also work with a lot of um, clients that are looking to lose some body fat or improve their overall health. So quite broad. <laughs> mm. um, and that's why I think it's really important to work with a practitioner because it is supposed to be personalised. Like we've really got to think about nutrition. We can't really learn exactly what to eat from an article on Facebook. That is true. That is true. And we, it really is so important to find out what works best for us. And that can be done so much easier if you're walking side by side with, with, with a practitioner who can help you on your way. So tell us a little bit about um, what you do with your clients when they come to you and give us a bit of an idea of the journey, like um, what testing you do, what education you give them, what sort of accountability they get. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. So everyone that starts with us at the Natural Nutritionist um, has an initial consultation where we go through your goals and, and talk about, you know, how we're obviously going to help you achieve those. We do a detailed medical history um, and look at, you know, your current lifestyle, like what you're eating now, what your work and home life looks like. We really want to understand your world so that all the recommendations we provide you are really practical as well because I might have an end goal for someone, but we don't expect, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So we really want to make sure that we're giving our clients what they're ready for and I always say you're going to meet the client where they are so you know they might be eating one cup of vegetables a day so my expectation is not they'd be doing six tomorrow in no way shape or form do I expect any of those bigger changes to happen overnight some people definitely want to they dive in and that's cool <laughs> um, but I think it's really important that we do think of health as an evolution I love to get all of my clients to do a comprehensive blood test so we provide them with our list of bloods so then we can look at, you know, how to support their health for an optimal level. We know that blood test reference ranges in the West simply exclude disease. They don't talk about optimal levels. So, you know, over the years and, and through a lot of research, I've developed my own optimal reference ranges that we teach our clients and then provide them with dietary and lifestyle interventions to achieve those goals. And sometimes supplements are necessary, but they will come obviously after food. Um, so that's the blood testing. But we will also encourage our clients, especially someone that has had that history of gut issues, to explore testing. So we work with Bioscreen, which is a company that analyzes the the stool tests for us and they provide us with a comprehensive report. So we're testing for things like the presence of parasites. We're also looking at the levels of beneficial bacteria that are present or absent in the gut. And then thirdly, we find out any potential overgrowth. So if there's a candida overgrowth or a streptococcus overgrowth or is it an undergrowth on the other hand? Um, for a lot of people, it's, I'm not saying it's a panacea, but it's definitely the missing piece of the puzzle. You know, I do work with a lot of people that have been following JERF or LCHF for quite a while, but they're not getting the results that you would normally expect. So usually I'd say in the vast majority of cases, there is something going on with their gut that we can't guess, that we can't assume. So I really love to encourage testing where possible so that we can get that really clear picture of what's going on in that internal ecosystem and as a result, do a really intelligent plan. You know, I always say test, don't guess, and I stand by that. Of course, there can be some cost limitations that we have to factor in, 
Um, but I find most people, once they understand the benefits of that sort of approach, they're very keen to get started straight away because you can't just drink kombucha and expect that you're going to fix your gut. <laughs> In fact, often you can make it worse. Yeah, that's absolute sage wisdom. And, you know, I, I really do agree with what you're saying. Test, don't guess. I really like that. That's a good little that's a good little Steffalo hashtag, that one, um, instant tweet, I reckon, there. But, you know, like when you say about the cost, it, it really does come down to at what cost, like how much are you mm-hmm. willing to get to the bottom of these health issues and, um, and live your best life? Or are you just going to continue with, a, with a, you know, the rest of your life with this suffering and, and never quite get into the bottom of it? So, yes, I think it's a good investment to make everybody out there if you're thinking about doing some testing, <laughs> put it, put some money aside and get it done. All right. So now I would like to ask you my um, question that I ask all my guests, Steph, which is what are your thoughts, your personal thoughts on the gray areas, which are coffee, wine, and chocolate? The gray areas. I know these are the questions <laughs> that always come up, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I can, I'll my preface it and say it's always relative because it is always relative. Um, excluding someone that's, you know, reacting poorly to caffeine or has some underlying adrenal issues, I think that coffee in the right dose can be really beneficial. It's essentially a bell curve or if you picture an upside down U, you get the benefits of taking coffee up to a certain point and then they start to fall off down the other side. The real issue for most people is how they drink their coffee. So, you know, in Australia, we generally drink lattes or cappuccinos and we're consuming litres of milk a day without realising, which is more than our daily recommended intake of sugar without realising. And most people are blown away and that out. So, again, we I don't expect anyone to change from a sweet sugary latte to a long black, but we can definitely start to make some changes in the right direction. There are almond milks and coconut milk options. There are MCT coffees or you can even just decrease the, the milk that you're having to start like a three-quarter or try a macchiato. Um, but generally one to two cups of coffee per day is suitable to most people provided we change the way we consume that beverage. Alcohol is a tricky one. I mean, there is no real denying the fact that it is actually a toxin for the body. In terms of our Australian recommendations, it's two to four standard drinks a week, not a fish bowl that you pour yourself on a Friday night, but literally that dribble that sits in the bottom of the wine glass. It's like 120 or 125 mils. Now, I think that Aside from looking at it as being a toxin, I totally understand that some people find it a necessary part of their week or very social or a great way to unwind. I just think it's important to acknowledge your relationship with alcohol. I also think it's really healthy to commit to doing 30 days off a couple of times a year. And we've got lots of options like there's October coming up, there's dry July, you know, have a look what Dr. Google has to offer you. But essentially you've got to really acknowledge your dependency on alcohol because it's a drug um, and you've got to put in time to take a break and hopefully you'll learn how good you feel without it. And that will be the incentive to address your overall intake or, you know, consider your ongoing relationship with alcohol. I'm obviously not drinking at the moment, (laughs) but I took a break 
for a, I took a break for 10 weeks before I got married on New Year's Eve last year. I have never felt better. Mm. Uh, and then I did a three-month, like, you know, prep for, for Bub where I wasn't drinking either. And, you know, I'm not saying I'll never go back to it, but my relationship with alcohol is night and day to when I was in my 20s. Um, and I just I know that I feel so much better without it and I've learnt that by trial and error. I just encourage others to do the same. Mm. Wise advice. What about chocolate? Chocolate. So, I mean, I think we're lucky in this day and age. There are so many alternative standard Cadbury's, which is just refined sugar and it's been created in a lab to make you eat the whole block, to keep you addicted and to need your next hit. It is a drug. It is highly addictive. The, you know, the research on that is crystal clear. I'm a massive fan of a really good quality chocolate like, you know, Pumpy Jackson or Panna Chocolate. I think you can make your own with cacao and um, coconut oil and like a monk fruit sweetener or stevia if you don't mind the taste of that. I think there are so many ways to still include this beautiful food that at the end of the day can be really nutrient dense if it's not ruined in the lab by big food. Mm, it's so The true. one thing I will add though, it, yeah, <laughs> I still, you know, I, when I speak to people that like alcohol, we build in AFDs, which are alcohol-free days. And when I speak to people who like chocolate, we still need to build in CFD, so chocolate-free days. Even if it's homemade, keto, even if it's raw, organic, whatever, it's still quite addictive. We've got to be really aware of the food behaviours that we set up. So if you eat good quality chocolate after dinner every night, you will need good quality chocolate after dinner every night. So it's really important to look at your behaviours and maybe try and do it every second day or a couple of days a week. And you will notice that that changes your cravings and your relationship with this food and you get control back, which is food freedom in my mind. I don't know what you're talking about, Steph. I've never heard anything more ridiculous <laughs> than a CFD. <laughs> I'm going to delete that one. Sorry. <laughs> That's my nutritionist hat on. Generally, <laughs> my two squares of 90% dark chocolate with a cup of tea after dinner is okay. Even if it, you know, oh, okay, maybe I do need to have a break from chocolate. Chocolate's got me by the short and curlies. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm totally down with AFDs, absolutely. CFDs, hmm. yeah. a bit on the fence with that one. Work but, on um, it. <laughs> but work on it. Oh, no. So tell us a little bit about what you've got coming up, Steph, in terms of you said you do quite a lot of seminars. If people wanted to come and hang out or see you live or you know partake mm -hmm. with some staff action what can they what can they look forward to yeah thank you so um up next we're doing a, a nice um real food and the gut brain axis event at our headquarters at our i just call it hq at our tnn hq in sandringham victoria it's actually sold out at the moment so we're looking at adding a couple of other events so that will all be released on our social media challenge channels very soon i am then going to be at in bendigo for the wellness base camp mm -hmm which is next, well, I don't actually know when this episode is released, in October, late October. Um, and then I go into launching my first baby. It's not a human. It's a book. It's my very um, recent project, Low Carb Healthy Fat Nutrition. I'm publishing with Hachette Australia 
and the release date is November 27th. It is available for pre-order on Booktopia now, now for those that want to check it out. I'd love you to grab a coffee copy oh, with your coffee. There you go. <laughs> and um, then obviously it'll be available in all the usual bookstores and, um, you know, Kmart, Target, etc. as of the end of November. And I'll be doing a little bit of a tour associated with that in December. So, again, that hasn't been announced yet, but we're getting close to um, announcing that online. What else have I got going on? I'll be then having a baby. So I've probably got a couple of months off in early next year, hopefully, if I can swing it. Um, but I did also want to mention that even more um, soon, I am releasing my online program, LCHF Endurance. So for any endurance athlete that want to learn how to become a fat adapted athlete, that want to learn how to make LCHF work for you, it's a 12-week online program that we're launching at the start of October. So I'll send you some more information on that, Helen. Yes, please do. Wow, Steph, seriously. Hats off to you and congratulations on selling out your event and <laughs> launching. You know, everybody wants to write a book, but until you actually do it, it's just an idea, you know, but you've, you've taken the mm -hmm. idea and you've turned it into a thing and your book is going to be in Target and Kmart. You just thought you're like in Target and Kmart and those kind of places. That is some serious, amazing work. Congratulations to you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to seeing it on the shelves. I think I'm going to have to find as many of those stores as I can and just drive around and bring it to the front of the Shelf. Yeah, do it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, do it. it. <laughs> I'll do it in, in, in Albany, Kmart, and I'll take a picture and I'll be take a picture and go, that's my friend. I know her. I've oh, no, I know God. her. <laughs> my famous I can't friend. can't wait to see Steph. that. So cool. That's so <laughs> cool. So when, when is your baby due? 8th of March, 2019. Oh, how exciting. Well, I just I want know. to wish you all the best. I'm sure that your baby has had the best preconception care <laughs> you've had the most the best preconception care and you'll be doing the best nutrition i wish i knew what i know now when i when i was pregnant but you know you you can't turn back the clock so look at you that you're you're doing all of this with what you know and i'm sure you're going to have a really healthy baby and i wish you an absolutely beautiful birth and yeah motherhood wow what a completely different dimension that is you're going to love it absolutely Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. We're very excited. All the unknowns, of course. But, yeah, I'm also very grateful that I do know what I know. So yes. looking forward to sharing my experience with others so they can learn the same. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Now, how can we find you? Like, can you give me your, give us your website address and your social mm -hmm. media addresses so we can go and look you up and start following you? Thank you. My online home is thenaturalnutritionist.com.au and then on social media we're at The Natural Nutritionist. So I personally hang out on Instagram the most. So I'd love you guys to head on over to Instagram, follow and let me know if you have any questions and hopefully we can stay connected there. Awesome. Thank you, Steph, for being such an incredible guest and all the best for the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute hit. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.